Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey, hello, hello, hello. It's Jason A. Meiske, your host for the Sample Chapter Podcast, back again. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really happy that you're here, and I'm, I feel privileged that you are coming back every week. This is week 11 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, our 11th episode. Uh, today we're going to have our 10th interview, 10th author coming on uh, to read, and we have a, a very special one at that. He's our first horror author, so can't wait to get over to that here in just a minute. I do want to thank, first off, Podcast Garden. Podcastgarden.com is my place where I go to, they, you know, they host the show. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, Podcast Garden is a great place to go. They have a variety of shows, and if you're interested in starting your own, that's the place to go to start for free. I also want to thank our other sponsor, UStoreAll, self-storage out of Warrensburg, Missouri. UStoreAll is a premium place in mid-Missouri for self-storage, uh, climate control, conventional. Uh, the whole place is fenced in. Over 40 cameras currently recording 24 hours a day. It's lit up like a ball field all night long. It is a fantastic place and they are in the process of growing. So make sure you give them a call or go to ustoral.net. That is the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L.net. And you can contact them. And if you're looking for self-storage, it's the only place to go. Well, I, I have I have so much going on right now. It is amazing that I am sleeping at all. Uh, I, in addition to all these hit movies coming out, you know, because I, I work nights at a, at a local theater. I work all day at, a, at another job. Uh, in between, I'm doing this show, and I get up nice and early every morning to fit in my words so that, uh, you know, to fulfill my own dreams of becoming an author myself. And that dream is about to be fulfilled. I am, I, I don't know if it's going to be this week. Uh, that was the goal. The goal, along, well, the last several months, the goal has been to uh, have this by the end of March. I don't know if I'm going to quite make that. It's it's very possible, but I think if I'm going to make this book something I'm happy with, something I'm proud to put out, it's probably going to be the first week of April. But, uh, you know, I'm going to make sure and share that with you guys as soon as I, as soon as I know for sure. That way you can uh, get on there, and hey, I'll, I'll make sure to uh, I'll, I'll make sure to come on here and and be I don't know I'll have somebody interview me I guess, and I'll read a sample chapter from my book. Well, hey, let's get on over to somebody who is a published author. Uh, our guest today is William Schlichter. Uh, in addition to writing science fiction and horror novels, William is also a screenwriter and a theater teacher. He's a frequent convention attendee and presenter. Uh, he is he's at conventions just about every weekend uh, this year so far. Uh, it's either a convention or a book signing of some event. So the, the man's pretty busy. His his publishing house that he's with they they send him all over the place, and uh, he's more than happy to rack up those miles that he gets to write off on his taxes. So <laughs> follow him on Facebook at uh, William Schlichter on Facebook. That's S C H L I C H T E R Schlichter. Uh, follow him on Facebook if you want to know more about where uh, where he, he's going to be going, where his, his next show is at, because the man is all over the place. Uh, we're, we cover a little bit of his science fiction that he talk, that he writes, some of his uh, horror, 
he does a lot of zombie horror. We also discuss how he has wanted to be a creator of worlds going back to ever well, ever since he was three years old. <laughs> One thing about this episode, you're gonna hear you're gonna hear a little bit of let's call it feedback. This was a live taping we did at the library. We had a nice little private room, and uh, it's always been fantastic to go to. You can always, when you're listening to the episodes, you can tell whether this was something done online or if it was in person. Uh, particularly today, you get to hear, uh, I, th- I think they just got done polishing the desk that we were on. You can hear a little burnt sound every once in a while. That's our, our hands. I promise, it's it was just our hands <laughs> sliding across that desk. So, uh, yeah, if you hear a little sound, I tried to edit out whatever I could, but uh, you still, there's a couple in there. If you're a Walking Dead fan and you have not watched the last few episodes, uh, there is a Walking Dead spoiler. So make sure you are aware of that going up ahead. One last thing I want to make sure and cover for Mr. Schlichter is that uh, he is... He is the author of the month with the uh, publishing company, and he does have a giveaway going on right now for his science fiction story, Enter the Sandman. Uh, I'm going to have a link. It's over on our Facebook page. I've already shared one link for that. So make sure you uh, head on over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sample chapter podcast. You can follow that link, and it's going to be in the show notes as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can pick up a, a free copy of that book. Just heading on over there, and that's this this month only. So if you're listening to this podcast in March of 2018, go get a copy of the book real quick. Uh, I have a copy of this. I'm starting to read it now, and it's it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Anyway, but yeah, right now to the end of March, go grab that book. And uh, as for us, well, let's go talk to William. What do you say? Welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with William Schlichter, a sci-fi, horror, and screenwriter. William, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we've got a couple of books here. We've got lots of bookmarks. you got the coolest bookmark I've ever seen. Oh, thank you. Any author. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I could read off of this, but I'd rather hear uh, from you. Well, I'm, uh, well, I've always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I'm uh, finally, finally published. I teach uh, high school and college. I teach uh, theater, speech, and, of course, creative writing, as well as composition. I enjoy that quite a bit, and uh, so working towards the, the writing career. I've um, won some awards and been recognized at a couple film festivals for a horror script I wrote, uh, which uh, did kind of break the ground to get me published, and I've always uh, always wanted to write sci-fi ever since I saw Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars, not A New Hope. It was Star Wars. Oh yes, I, I remember. I still remember the experience of sitting in that at the drive-in. Yes, I was in the drive-in. I was three and a half years old. I did fall asleep before the Death Star blew up, but I still remember going and watching that. And I thought, you know, everybody wanted to come home and be Han Solo or Luke Skywalker, yeah. and I thought, no. I wanted to be George Lucas. I wanted to create that a universe of my own, and 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 then not screw it up twenty years later. <laughs> Please, if I if I write a George R. Binks character, somebody just. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, now speaking of then, uh, so creating your own universes, you've got uh, 
a collection of them. Uh, like like we said here, you got your your sci-fi, which would be uh, like Enter the Sandman, yes. horror with No Room in Hell, and uh, you know that's a, like a zombie series. Uh, tell us a little bit about. What, how do you come up with a catch that's going to make these stand up from other ones? Well, I actually won uh, or was third place in the Broadcasters Education Association script contest uh, when I worked on my master's degree. Um, and uh, I got to go to Vegas and get my award. That was really cool. But we can't talk about that because, you know, what happens in Vegas. Um, <laughs> but I wrote an episode of The Walking Dead. A spec script, which means it will never be made into an actual episode. But uh, I wrote that. I, I had the characters down, and I kind of decided, you know, I kind of wanted to write my own zombie story. I had all these great ideas that I wanted to follow, and I kind of wanted to fix some of the issues that The Walking Dead has. Hmm. Like, my characters are really smart. <laughs> they do not do stupid things, and yet they're, and they still have to deal with the zombies and other survivors and what's going on. Plus, uh, I wanted to set the story in Missouri. Nobody ever seems to set zombie stories in the Midwest. Right. Uh, very few. I've read one or two, but not very, not very many. Uh, and I wanted to deal with what, what happens when people have guns and they have some resources, mm -hmm. and uh, what can they do with these supplies to deal with the zombie yeah. apocalypse from a, a different point of view. So it's always been my kind of idea to take what might even be a trope and totally bend it in the other direction. Yeah. I do that a lot in my sci-fi as well. You'll be cruising along and you'll think, oh, I've read this same story before. Uh-uh. It's going to come out of nowhere and smack you, and you're going to go, whoa, what happened? How are we here? And, and I think that's a good thing, because I like to, like I said, I like to bend those tropes. That's what I work with my creative writing kids in class, too, mm -hmm. is trying to get them to say, okay, this, we've seen this a thousand times. How is it different for you? What are you going to do that makes it its different, its own unique story? Mm -hmm. And uh, it just, uh, what uh, the reading will do from the second zombie book, you know, one of the problems with The Walking Dead is, is there's no out there's no, there, there'll never be a happy ending in a zombie story. Right. But there has to be an out. There has to be something that sets it up that, you know, there's an end, an end goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's missing. And I think that hurts. Especially, yeah. especially after they killed Carl. Because right. I, I was always a fan of the Old Man Carl series. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you've been living under a rock, that's right. for sure. Um, <laughs> That uh, I was like the old man Carl theory that this was him looking yeah. back and and the birth of this new world in which you know hopefully in the end they make a better place. Right. So um, I think my characters are working towards to trying to make it a better place, even though there are people that would rather run around and and do whatever they wanted. For me, it, it took me years. I was literally like I think forty before I started to appreciate zombie movies. Mm -hmm. Because uh, for me it was uh, I had a, a night where some friends stayed over and we watched heavy metal, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we watched uh, Night Night of the Living Dead, not the original, but the remake uh, where the uh, you know the naked lady walking down the street and they, yeah. they were they were in the um, uh, the graveyard with the where they were burning the bodies and stuff, and it totally messed me up that you know they nuked the town at the end of the movie right the waste goes into the sky and then it rains and it starts all over again and that freaked me out more than anything else that there's no end. No. You can't win. And so, you, yeah, that was it you, for me. You can't win, but you can you can get to a point where you can have a better life, I think. Or you can do something, or it perpetuates it. Uh, and I think that's something I'm working towards. Plus, I have a, another idea that probably won't emerge until book 
four, but they're working on it. Uh, another direction I have not seen a lot of other <clears throat> zombie stories move towards. Plus, and I bring this up in the second book in uh, 400 Miles to Graceland, uh, there's what happens after a natural disaster? Mm. I mean, zombies happen and like all of a sudden global warming stops. Oh. You know, so, and now that's not the disaster that happens in the book. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when there's a natural disaster, you know, there's not going to be any FEMA to come get you. FEMA's done because they took off after the zombies started. Right. But uh, we, we have a natural disaster and these characters have to deal with zombies and the other people fighting them for the supplies mm -hmm. and a natural disaster. So, and I really wanted to see how they dealt with that as well. So, again, I'm trying to take these tropes or these, these things we see, all these uh, events that we see in a lot of stories and totally take them in a different direction. Or, again, what happens with uh, intelligent characters? Mm -hmm. And that was the brilliance of The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, was is, well, how do a group of actual intelligent scientists deal with a scary monster in the middle of the Arctic? You know? right. <laughs> and I thought I thought that was the same kind of idea, yeah. you know, because you always have the in most zombie movies. How are these people still alive? Right. They're making the worst choices ever that make no sense. Uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, when Madison's under the truck and she leaves, she leaves the gun in the first season. It's like, why do you not take that gun back to your house? How do you not take the gun you found? Right. You know. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the uh, the Geico commercial where the, the kids are running away from the... Oh, I love that commercial. Yes. <laughs> they hide in the barn. No, we need to go hide in the barn with the chainsaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of get, instead of the blonde girl who says, let's get in the running car. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> there was one horror movie, and I can't remember what it was, where the kids actually called mm -hmm. the cops at the very beginning. They call, yeah. There's a murderer, and they call the cops, and the cops show up, and the murderer jumps out and kills the cops immediately, yeah. you know, but at least they called the cops. <laughs> you know? And now all, all all horror movies now, the first scene in all of them are the kid pulls out his phone and he's like, oh, look, there's no signal here. <laughs> no, okay, then drive away. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I get it, you know, those are the stories that are easy to tell and it's, it's stories that we understand, but it would be, I think it'd be scarier uh, like yours where it's, they're doing everything right, yeah. but it still isn't working out. No. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, and that's and that's the thing. And uh, and I also read a, a book years ago uh, about an earthquake in uh, New Mad in New Madrid, and I thought it was the scariest thing ever because it talks about driving up the I fifty five corridor, and it's like I, I drove that every day, mm -hmm. you know. And then here people have read this, and it's like, oh, I've been to these places, and I think that adds to that terror a little bit because yeah. it's like, oh, I've been there, I, I know where that's at. Um, and we'll see what happens yeah. as far as that goes. I do play a little bit loose with time. Sometimes the characters need to get there a little faster for the plot. <laughs> but uh, I, I stick tr pretty accurate. I have a big map on the wall, and I kind of follow it. And, and, uh, and of course, mm -hmm. I've traveled all those places okay. over, over the years and, and stick with it. But I, th I sometimes think that little bit of realism makes it even scarier mm -hmm. than uh, you know some made-up place in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm never visiting because apparently that's where all the demon monsters live. <laughs> demon monsters, clowns, everything. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Stephen, if you're listening, you are welcome to come on the show. We'll discuss that part of it. I, I sent him, he, uh, he writes in his book on writing because I quote from Stephen King all the time. Um, uh, if you, uh, to write a, try to write a thousand words a day is what he recommends. And mm -hmm. that's my goal. Um, and I, I, I try to reach it as much as possible with, you know, a real job. Uh, <laughs> and I charted 
in 2016, I charted my daily riding every day, and I tweeted it to him. So if he ever answers, I'm just going to be <laughs> like, wow, you know, that would be cool. Well, tell us a little bit about your sci-fi. You got like Enter the Sandman, which is completely different from your whole. It is completely different. It has been my baby project since at least high school. Um, I've since rewritten it multiple times, so it's not the same. <laughs> not the same stuff I used to pawn off on my friends in high school to read. I uh, I describe it as Buck Rogers encounters Freddy Krueger. Okay. And uh, if you don't know who Buck Rogers is, uh, for I say Han Solo encounters Freddy Krueger, but it's not the same. Right. It's not the same. But for a lot of people who don't know who Buck Rogers is, they know who Han Solo is, so they get yeah. it. But we have a group of heroes. Are uh, maybe they're not totally heroes, but they're smugglers, uh, and they're helping to prevent a war. They supply weapons and stuff to rebel groups fighting against this uh, tyrannical government, typical kind of sci-fi stuff. As they're doing this, and they're trying to prevent this war, these creatures from another reality seep into ours, and they play with their thoughts. So sometimes you're not always sure when we're in reality and when we're not. And then, of course, now they've got to find a way to stop these creatures. Mm -hmm. And we have a very strong, we have two very strong characters. Uh, one's a female lead, Amy. And she is, she's got a terrible Cassandra complex, and she's super smart, but she couldn't advance in her career because she missed one test question on an exam and got stuck <laughs> as kind of a low-level tech. Right. You know? And, of course, her sister berates her for this all the time, constantly. <laughs> you know, you missed one question, one question, and you could have been the leader of the free world, but no, he didn't. <laughs> um, and then our hero, who is the Buck Rogers type, who has been frozen and awoken, and he's not the, you know, he doesn't walk out of the cryogenic chamber and all of a sudden can fly the spaceship perfectly. He has got to learn all that stuff. So he's... Um. He's he's in his first real gunfight in the in this first book, and it doesn't go the way you know it does for Han Solo or Buck <laughs> right. Rogers. You know, it doesn't go that way for him. <laughs> and in fact, in the third book, he decides that you know he's maybe not quite fit for command and makes some different choices to maybe go back to maybe learn how to be a better commander before he takes these people mm -hmm. even even further. And we have some dimension hopping, and uh, there's some hints that maybe time travel occurs. But I also like to play with those things as well. And if they do time travel, it's not going to fix it because I think that's that's another trope that you expect. Yeah. And you know, it's all of a sudden it's going to twist in a direction that you don't realize. Yeah. As far as that goes, and that's and I think that's part of the fun. That's what I like to do. I like to take different what we think we know or what we've seen and totally take it in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned that a lot from screenwriting. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, you kind of, it's like new TV shows are supposed to be about 80% what we know and 20% different. So mm -hmm. I kind of amp that 20% up a little bit more. <laughs> so we go, oh, I've seen the sci-fi story. And then all of a sudden you have no idea where you're at. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of fun for the reader as, as well. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I, I get some pretty good feedback on that. People, people seem to be enjoying it. Outstanding. So. I love it. William, tell us, uh, how can people reach you? How can um, they find you online? Well, if you can spell my last name, <laughs> <laughs> which is S-C-H-L-I-C-H-T-E-R. I am uh, at uh, W. Schlichter. I think it's W. It might be W-M. Uh, at Instagram and on Twitter. And then uh, I have an author page on Facebook. And then also um, I have a page on uh, my uh, publisher's website at bhcpress.com. And uh, right now, I'm not sure when you're going to air this, 
But if it airs before the end of March, they are giving away a free copy of Enter the Sandman this month. I'm the author of the month, and you can get that first one for free. Yeah. Start that out. Um, and, uh, and, of course, I post all that stuff. I'm also... Um, I also do a lot of cons and book signings. I love, I love to go to comic cons, and now I can go as as a work expense, <laughs> um, and uh, and all that information again I post quite frequently and is on the VHC uh, Press website uh, of all the events. I've got so many coming up; it's not funny. It's it's a lot of fun to go out. And I, I didn't even think about that. I had it written down here, and I totally glazed over it. But yeah, you you are a very frequent uh, convention yes. a- attendee presenter. You're always yeah. I, I see you all the time, like just about every weekend lately. Yeah, yeah. I've got two this coming weekend. Um, one at a Barnes and Noble, and one in Wichita, and then wow. yeah. And then, <laughs> I know every weekend in May, except the one I have to go to graduation for my high school kids. Um, my student kids, but uh, <laughs> I'm going. I'm going all over the country. I'm even going to try Tampa uh, in uh, in August. That's bring fantastic. Bring some zombies to Florida. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So tell us, uh, what do you got coming up? Uh, my next actual project um, is uh, due out October 5th. It is a, uh, what I call my serial killer novel, which is actually what I, I screenplay. My screenplay that. Um, in screenwriting contests, you were either the winner or the or a finalist. There was no like second or third place. So I was always a I was always a bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> I was a finalist. One competition though, I was a finalist out of forty five hundred people. So I was like, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, it was a serial killer novel, and I had done a lot of research on this to make this serial killer very realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of research where you read books. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't, you know go up and chat people up or anything. Uh, <laughs> no misery events. Um, and I did all that research, so I still had all this kind of serial killer stuff in my head. Yeah. So I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought, well, I want to write a story. Uh, and what about a group of serial killers? So this group of serial killers comes together, and I call the book Serial Killers Anonymous. And they come together, and they uh, start to talk about their killings and try to form a self-help group. <laughs> and they're trying to recover like a recovering addict mm-hmm. and uh, so they have meetings and they discuss their killings uh, spoiler the first 39 pages 11 people die <laughs> <laughs> and it only gets more from there uh, but I tried to explore the minds of several different serial killers we explore uh, four or five different characters uh, directly um, and what they and their viewpoint what they did so uh, I remind the reader that first-person narrators are very unreliable, mm. and serial killers are super unreliable. <laughs> uh, but I think it'll be a lot of fun, and it'll be officially released um, October 5th is the is the release date, though I'm supposed to have some with me in the May shows I do. Oh, so okay. you might be able to pick one up early, okay. and, uh, and I won't tell you no if you want to buy one, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then um, the next project after that will be, by demand, the third... Uh, no Room in Hell book. Okay. And I'm not ready to quite give the title on that because it might, I'm debating, it might give away the twist of, uh, I love I love twists or, or cliffhanger endings. Mm-hmm. I know my sister is so mad about the second book. She wants to know who lives <laughs> and who dies. And if I really killed some of the characters that she loves or not, and she's like, can't you tell me because I'm your sister? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, tell us uh, what are we uh, what are we going to hear today? What's um, the book? Well, my last release was uh, 
uh, No Room in Hell. Uh, the first book is The Good, the Bad, and the Undead, because even though the book is not campy, I love campy titles. <laughs> I think that's part of the fun. Because zombies are supposed to be, yes, they're terrifying, but you got to have a little fun. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the second book uh, picks right up um, uh, pretty quick after the, the end of the first one, and it's uh, 400 Miles to Graceland. And uh, I thought I might read the second chapter, <clears throat> where we uh, uh, we find well, you know, we'll just see what happens. Okay. Of uh, the story, uh, mm -hmm. it, like I said, it is uh, it is mostly based in Missouri. We do branch out a little bit, and uh, most of our survivors are pretty intelligent, uh, and they're and they're still trying to survive in this world because, you know, people people seem to fall apart pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> I read a. A military study that said, you know, we're three happy meals away from total chaos. So, you know, after 10 months of the zombie apocalypse, we're in a, in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> well, this has been fantastic. I really loved having you here. And uh, yeah, we'll have to, uh, we'll have, you know, as uh, Serial Killers Anonymous gets closer, we'll have to have you back on and uh, maybe read a sample from you. Oh, I would love to. I've got some great selections from that if your audience can <laughs> handle gruesome. Uh, disturbing. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Those are the books you tell your mother you can't read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like uh, Eddie Murphy and a lot of those actors will will be like, I finally did a movie my kids can watch. I need to write something my mother can read. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have William Schlichter and No Room in Hell. Chapter two. Amanda always wanted great legs. Boys in high school thought she had a fantastic ass, but she desired shapely stems, gams, Beyonce dancing legs. Ten months of daily jogging granted her her wish. Every day she runs. Not for health, but to stay alive. The tight, well-formed calves lacked any adipose tissue or traces of cellulite. Had the world not ended, she'd be assured a job as a leg model, or maybe a body double from some scrawny, overpaid actress in a feature film. If the next home they raid had some baby oil or lotion, she'd like to shave and rub them smooth. Theo gawks every chance he gets. If they encounter a home with running water, she might let him help her groom. She misses the rough touch of a man's hands on her legs. Since her group thin, she's not felt safe enough. It does take her pleasure center much stimulation for her to miss a full-out nuclear attack. Desires embrace every cell in her body, leaving her vulnerable. Even incited feelings by some one-night drunken grope fest would produce screams of passion attracting the infected theo's stolen glances are as far as he dares he remains a gentleman as much as possible when she must pee under guard or must remove tampons because the monthlies attract the undead if they find a location she finds appealing she may discover if theo's a world rocker now jared exerts the manly talent of fire building he used a hunk of ice last winter to ignite flame She'd never believe if she hadn't been there. Twigs and dry branches shatter under the approach of the undead. They shamble through the underbrush, snarling, the distinct moan-howl haunting every survivor's dream. Amanda flips open the cylinder on her snub-nosed thirty-eight. Four live rounds. She'd been saving the bullets, one for herself. Jarrett clubs an undead with a log he ignited. The rags of the infected spark, flaming undead, are frightening because they don't stop, drop, and roll like a living person. They don't stop just burn and eat. Intended or not, the flame corpse illuminates the immediate area, giving Amanda light enough to take careful aim. BAM! 
Brrr. Machine gun fire sprays through the encroaching infected. They fall with moan howls, ceasing as soon as their heads explode. Amanda shoots the burning corpse, only to have headlamps blind her night vision. Forced, she shields her eyes with her forearm. Men in military fatigues hustle her into the front of the seat of a jeep. More gunfire erupts. As her eyes adjust to the false daylight, Jarrett climbs into the bed of the truck. She whips her head around. No sign of Theo. Heard! A soldier's voice warns. Not surprising, being this close to Memphis means more undead. She'd seen two herds and lived. Thousands, maybe ten thousands, undead, moving as a wave of rotted flesh devours any animals it encounters, especially man. Where's Theo, she demands. The soldiers ignore her. Within seconds, the machine gun fire ceases. Her ears ring. The vehicle speeds along the highway. Escaping the herd, the male soldiers still refuse to speak to her. Not sure where she stands, Amanda hikes her leg, allowing her foot to rest on the dash. She attempts to enjoy the moment. She's had little time to let her hair down, and in minutes her world could return to violence, most likely with her at the head of a train of men. Their peaks lost their flatter after the first few refused to glance away. She smells their lust. Hunger permeates towards her. Behaving like a nun wouldn't protect her, nor will flaunting herself. She slides her bottom over, using the dash as leverage to prep her body for a leap from a moving jeep. If she lands on her toes, she can outsprint any of these men. If they shoot her, well, they'll do what they want with my body anyway. She keeps her eyes forward, no chance of inadvertently inviting the driver. We haven't seen military in months. Rumors of a withdrawal circulated. She didn't want to say retreat or insult with defeat. A few months ago, her group contained ten survivors. I'm the only original member left in my merry band. Everyone she met before the apocalypse, dead. Those banding together after, dead. 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 Down to three affiliates, she doesn't want any friends. They keep dying. They avoid encountering other survivors. The last group they were lucky to miss was a traveling motorcycle band and another group keeping a harem of women in a tractor trailer. Only luck found them on the opposite side of a river where the women bathed. She guessed the men killed other male survivors and persecuted the women into servitude. Somehow, in the last ten months, she never been forced to procreate with anyone she didn't desire. A few of the men didn't have any idea what to do with a woman. She might have been willing to educate them, if time permitted, but she could be eaten by undead at any minute. She demanded her desires be fulfilled. When she allowed herself to be so vulnerable as to enjoy a man, she needed him to be successful. Not like before, when she grew with the relationship and could explore her partner and teach him how to pleasure her. Flooding lights break the darkness. They blind Amanda. She covers her eyes with her forearm, peeking through the glare to spot twin guard towers, the jeep barrels between. More floodlights click on. A distinct lack of humming generator means somehow this place has electricity, Amanda considers, willing to open her legs for a hot shower. Part of the wall of concertina wire reminds her of a prison, and even not knowing exactly where they are, she still doesn't think they are near one. A prison would make a great hideout. It already has walls, security measures. Most people avoid them. They wouldn't think to go there and save themselves. She wished she'd considered corrections ten months ago. In all her meetings of survivors, none of them were medical people, and even fewer were cops, unless they went rogue. No one ever said they uh, happened to be a corrections officer. Prisons, like hospitals, may have been overrun quickly once the plague spread. Reunited with her fellow survivors, all three are escorted inside. 
communal living area was once a warehouse and now home to bunks, washing stations, weapon storage, and half a dozen poker games. All the men halt their activity to admire Amanda's legs. She spots no women among the soldiers. Under guard, they reach a pair of double doors. There, what could only be defined as a super nerd scientist greets them in a hailstorm of handshakes and apologies. You're the first survivor we discovered in two weeks. We were so worried. Worried? Yes, when we couldn't find survivors, we became concerned we were all that was left. A shiny gold name badge reads Ellsberg. Amanda has many questions, but Jared beats her to the first one. Who are you? Introductions are in order. I am, or was, the CDC's top virologist in Nashville. Now I supervise this camp, where we've been perfecting a cure. Impossible, says Theo. Even if you did cure those walking dead, wouldn't they die from rotten flesh and holes in them? A cure isn't exactly an accurate word. Vaccine. We're perfecting a vaccine. So those bit will not turn. Amanda's legs numb. You mean this could all be over? We're close. A few test trials remain. What we can offer you is a warm meal and a hot shower, a place to get some clean clothes, food. We do insist on some blood work. Amanda remembers the camping trips with her dad. Dragged her on when she was ten. Bug bites, poison ivy, and squatting to pee. Not that she didn't hover over public toilets as an adult. She never splashed piddle on her shoes. The best part was the first shower when she got home. Water never felt so warm or so comforting. Hot water consumes her, protects her. Safe is something she has lacked. Now Irish Spring suds and flowing water is as near to boiling as she can take comforts her. The scientist says they have an auto 10-minute max. She lathers herself in the sink so she could just stand under the flow for as long as she could. The heat releases the tension in her shoulders. Constant lack of sunscreen and opportunities to tan has left her with white patches on her skin, but she doesn't care. She wouldn't mind a pedicure, but never can she remember feeling so clean. The shower beeps a 30-second shutoff warning. Amanda spins around one last time to ensure no soap was missed before... The drip, drip, drip replaces the waterfall she enjoyed. Sniffing the clean towel, she pats her face, choosing to air dry. The beads of water on her skin keep her clean, fresh. They gave her papery scrubs to wear. No underwear, no bra. The hospital socks have grippy patterns to prevent slippage because they left her no shoes. Some tests and food are next, and then she wonders if she will be able to sleep. Not some half-an-eye-opening sleep, but peaceful, safe sleep, knowing nothing can harm her here. Amanda attempts to slide her feet on the floor, gliding as a vibe skating, but the gripper socks keep her toes in place. Jared waits for her on a bench. Where's Theo? They took him for blood work. Said the sooner they draw some vials, the sooner we eat. It's going to be MREs, Amanda notes. Don't care. They won't be rancid like the ones we found. With the vaccine, the world could return to normal. Not right away. They still have to clean up a lot of undead, but at least their numbers are depletable. No more worries about being bit, she says. What a fantasy to rebuild the world. How long do you think it will take? Years. The country will become a new frontier and have to be explored all over again. A man in white scribs waves to Jared. We're ready for you now. Where's Theo? Getting a bite. Amanda nods at her friend. Too bad when they numbered nine people, they, they couldn't have found this place. Fourteen or fifteen was as large as the group got. But some of those people, some people were made out for the end of the world and others need to, to be destroyed. It took her a time to accept the apocalypse means new beginnings, but not for everybody. The male nurse waves, demanding Jared to enter a room down the hall. He brushes the top of Amanda's shoulder in a good luck, goodbye sort of way. 
Alone for minutes, she wonders, why does no one want to speak to me? Survivors tend to want to exchange information. Everybody wants to know if it's as bad as where they came from as it is here. Even the mongrels who plan to kill you for your last MRE talk first. The male soldiers stare, confirms not many women are around. She's surprised none of them have requested a date or offered to assault her. One crazed survivor once attacked her group, spurting how he was going to drill her until she needed a new hole. He was one of the living people she was forced to kill. Since she seems to be a lone woman, why? Plenty of women outlast men in this new world. After food, she's going to have to demand some answers from the nerdy scientist. The nurse waved for her to turn at a health inspection. Her memory plays tricks on her. She swears Jared went to her room across the hall. The male nurse pumps the blood pressure cuff until the pressure cuts into Amanda's arm. I'm sure I'm malnourished. She flashes a smile before realizing she can't recall the last time she brushed her teeth. There was no toothbrush in the shower room. When was the last time you ate anything? He keeps a surgical tone while twisting the knob to release the air from the blood pressure cuff. Yesterday. Food's been scarce in this area. The soldiers didn't feed you? No, the soldiers haven't even said hello, she quickly adds. We were promised food after the blood draw. He refuses to lock eyes with her. Amanda accepts trust must be earned, but she's done nothing but cooperate. After he draws three vials of her blood, she finds herself alone again, now with a rumbling stomach. She had pushed food from her mind until he asked about the last time she ate. Her head slams against the table. Three. No, four men grab her. Amanda somehow knew, having not seen any women, she'd become the object of unwanted affection for many. She kicks, but even her muscly, defined legs strike nothing as she is lifted into the air. They slam her into a hard-backed chair and secure her right forearm in clamps on a metal table. The last soldier tears away the paper gown covering her right arm. One clamp prevents her wrist from moving her elbow. Both bands prevent her from leaving the chair. Two of the four walls are hard, clear plastic. Men in lab coats scribble on clipboards. The wall adjacent to the metal table rises. The two lab coats enter. Ellsberg prepares a syringe injection. They disregard Amanda's protest, questions, and curses. She kicks at them, but they seem to stand behind an invisible border just out of her reach. Familiar moan howls jerk her head in an opening wall. The scientists ignore her. Secured by a steel trapline catch pole, two soldiers force a snarling dead man at the table. Screams piercing enough to bleed eardrums emanate from Amanda. Ten months to shape her lower body into the perfect dancer's legs gone. Five family members demanding she survive to carry on their memory over. Three living people she was forced to kill to survive. All for nothing. Teeth grip her skin. They clamp. With her arms secure, her instincts to jerk away are prohibited. This prevents the monster from tearing flesh. It must bite again. It chews at her flesh, unable to break the skin immediately. More chewing. Fear swells in her. Each bite failing to break the skin draws out the inevitable. She will soon be one of the undead. Her flesh buckles and the bloom of blood mushrooms from her arm. They yank the undead creature away before it eats any more. Amanda closes her mouth. No point in screaming. It's over. She's dead. Everything she fought to keep stolen. The glasses-wearing scientist clicks a stopwatch. Ellsberg inserts the needle under her left arm vein. Any desire to fight him off leaves her. She could scratch him. For some reason, she focuses on his golden name tag. Logically, she assumes they drew blood to check her growth rate of the germ-filled bite. She has seen people turn seconds after a bite. Others take days. Only stinging warmth itches her right arm. They inject her. What the fuck? 
the female subject has received a full dose of chloacin. They step back as the clear wall lowers, sealing Amanda's last few minutes as a lab rat. I've never heard of this drug, Dr. Burton. My great-uncle was made aware of it during a microbe outbreak in Arizona during 1969. It will cure cancer. They keep it under wraps to increase research funding? In this case, no. It cures at the cost of the host's life. But our subject's insistent she's doomed to die anyway. Not if the cure works, Dr. Ellsberg. And there you have it. That was William Schlichter reading from his zombie horror series, No Room in Hell, 400 Miles to Graceland. Thank you so much for coming back this week. If you do like the show, make sure you rate us wherever it is that you're listening to the show. Don't forget to hop over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash samplechapterpodcast. You can like the page for any links and stuff that I'm going to share. Hey, don't forget to tune back in next week. We'll play for another exciting guest. Bye.